You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Welcome back to Pucking Around here on Sports Radio Detroit. I'm Jason Pinkman. I'm here today with the franchise Steve Height. And we're going to try to go over as much as we can over the last two weeks of the NHL. Thankfully, uh, as we have learned, this is the busy and fun time to really dive into things, you know, not like the trade deadline is nuts or the playoffs is nuts, but it's kind of fun to just dip our toes into some of the things we want to talk about. Just uh, real quick before I do my rundown, how are you, Steve? How's your last two weeks been? It's been okay. Just trying to catch up on all the hockey-related things. It seems like after we do a show, there's always these microcosms of information leaked on Monday and Tuesday. That is the pucking around so. curse, 100. It ha- it is it is it is followed us from when we were on Thursdays. It has followed us from when we were doing four shows a month. It has followed us from Wednesdays. I don't know why it is, but it it will always be. And I think the people who listen to the show know it. It just haunts us, like. Oh, we just did a cool like hour show that we're pretty happy and content with. Well, here's a bomb. Yeah, enjoy talking about it in two weeks or a week when it's old news. Uh, real quick rundown before we jump into everything. Uh, just a, we'll do a quick housekeeping on uh, the Batman conference with Tom Wilson. Uh, we're going to talk about what's happening in the West as the standings. I know it's early, but they are exactly upside down uh, for the most part. Uh, I wanted. I found a list. Uh, a, uh, done about the 10 worst free act worst active free agent signings currently in the NHL. I feel like that's going to be a little fun to jump into. Uh, I want to discuss who the higher power is in the East, be it, whether it be Toronto who has the most points or if it's a toss up between Pittsburgh and Tampa who both have been hyper efficient with their games. Uh, I want to do a discussion about it. Uh, there was a interview done with a, a bunch of NHL superstars called NHL superstars Roundtable. Uh, discussing the Vegas flu, uh, a couple of rule changes in Seattle team names, stuff like that. I feel like there's some stu- fun stuff to jump into there. Uh, I also want to jump into a topic that Steve found about uh, ratings of the NHL and NBC year over year and their uh, their their performance this year. And then I want to do a new segment we're working on. Uh, we're kind of going to spitball it live on air about Steve's budding uh rise to uh superpower status in the east being the toronto maple leafs and i think there's a lot of uh enjoyment to be had from that uh just to start again with the little bit of housekeeping from a previous story uh as we discussed in the pre-show we're not going to dive too much into it but i do want your take on gary bettman uh was given a call was given an interview with tom wilson over the phone and he decided to upheld tom uphold tom wilson's 20 game suspension uh last thursday uh, that does set a stage for a potential appeal to a neutral arbitrator, which, as we saw with the Austin Watson case, in most cases leads to a reduction in suspension. Uh, what's your stance on this? I think that, I mean, they're trying to send a message for things like this, and I think he's stuck with it. The only thing I hate is that it could possibly just get reduced anyway. It's like, why even go to Batman if it's just going to maybe get reduced in another arbitration form? I think I was kind of talking to some people about this earlier this week at work, and I was like, you know, if you have a headshot related suspension or something of that nature where it's like intent to injure, it, I feel like if you try to appeal and you lose, you should get more games. You should get like 10 more games on top of it just to even make it worse. I almost couldn't agree more. Like, because I'm I'm a big believer that like, especially bureaucratic bullshit like this is really like a tick to me. Like, we're just wasting time talking about nothing. Not us, but them. I mean, like, either do it or don't do the suspension. I, I don't like that it turns into a five-week story in the news cycle where it keeps coming back. We keep having to hear about Tom Wilson and all these interviews and discussions and hearings and neutral arbitrators. And Cheyenne Doss is not exactly the most reputable guy, you know, with the Austin Watson callback. So, yeah, I, I'm on board. Like, maybe not even like a... 
not like a five game add on, but like one or two, you know, just like, oh, you see, you tried and no, you know, some kind of just like slap one or on the two wrist. just doesn't matter, though, if you're already getting 20, like make it really hurt. Like 30 games is a big deal. That's oh, you're saying a half a season. go full bore. Yeah, like especially for these intent to injure headshot related injuries. If it's something like a slashing call or something like, you know, where it was like kind of nitpicky and something happened and. You know, and then they appeal a suspension like that and they get like maybe two games instead of five. It's like, OK, like maybe there was a misjudgment on the call. And that's what the arbitration is for, is to see whether the call was made correctly and the suspension was upheld or not upheld because they think it's incorrectly given. And in those situations, I understand it. But when the league comes out and gives you 20 games, they're sending you a message being like, you can't do that. Don't do that. And you're getting these many games because you were a repeat offender of this occasion. So it's like you shouldn't even be able to get it, you know, reconsidered or even looked into. It's like 20 games and that's it. You're done. No, I, I like there should be no arbitration. in that. I agree, especially because it's frustrating to me from the perspective of this doesn't feel like it's a hockey issue. This feels like it's a money issue to me. Like it feels like if it if it was about the moral standing of his decision, there's no argument. There's literally zero argument. He tried to injure a guy in a fucking preseason game like it didn't even matter. You had to do it during preseason. So from a moral standpoint or from a, a competition or a sports standpoint, I think there's no discussion to be had. But I think it's all just about the fact that he signed that fat contract and he wants that money. Like, I, I really think it's that simple. Is that is that fair? I mean, for a guy that is an annual 30 points and he had his highest career t- total points and then gets the fat contract, which is basically signing bonus incentives, He's, he's losing a good amount of money from that, and I understand it, but don't do dumb shit in a game that then literally doesn't matter, and two, that you don't get paid for. <laughs> you don't get paid for exhibition preseason No, games. you don't. Your contract starts at the beginning of the year in October. <laughs> so you're basically playing for free, yeah. and then you do something that costs you actual meal money, is what they like to yeah. call. So, I mean, that's just, that's the epitome of Tom Wilson, just being honest. No, it is. I agree. Like, he's not a bright guy. He's not ever been a hockey player that's going to wow you, yet he does something that critically puts his team behind and then himself out of his pockets. So, I mean, Gary Batman's basically looking at the guy like, I mean, I didn't do this. You did this. So why should I make this any less for you? <laughs> like, yeah. That'd be I'd have the same response. It's like when a little kid does something stupid and you have to punish him and he's mad that you punish him. It's like, well. You put me in this position. I have to do this because you're an idiot. Sorry. Yeah, and that's. I, I think that's all I, I think either of us want to say about Tom Wilson for this week. I'm sure we'll revisit him in the future because he's probably going to get it appealed. For the whole year. Yeah, fuck if we could just stop talking about Tom Wilson. All right, let's jump into the, the standings a little bit. I don't want to do a full standings recap just because it is so early, but I do want to touch on the fact that, like, in the East, it's kind of the way we expected. You know, you got Toronto and Tampa sitting up top, you know, and then Pittsburgh. Carolina's a little bit of a shocker, but they're not crazy. Like, they're not like 9-1 and one or something like that. It's kind of, you know, it's a clusterfuck. But the shocking thing to me is the West. Like, the West is exactly upside down from what I expected, with the exception of Nashville and San Jose being at the top. You know, Colorado and Vancouver and Edmonton, you know, and Minnesota all sitting up there, you know, 3-4-2, like... Especially in the Pacific. Like, the Pacific, to me, is the most upside-down division in most of sports. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense more often than not. And it's 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 strange to see Vancouver with a 500 record sitting in second place. Like, the question becomes, and I know it's too early to ask this, but, you know, I, 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 am, con- I am concerned. You know, is this enigmatic or is this emblematic of what this is going to be? Or is this just hot runs at the beginning of the year from what you've seen? I think it's just this division is known to basically only have one or two teams and everything else is just whoever can make the spot happen happens. I mean, Edmonton is, you know, doing okay. I I think their prominent wins is interesting. Have all come against last year's playoff teams, two of which one was the Stanley Cup final champion and then one was the last year Stanley Cup champion. So, I mean, they're playing well against the good teams. They just need to kind of sure up against the not so good teams but that division could be really wide open. I expect Edmonton to probably compete with San Jose for the most part. I mean, you got to look at teams like Vegas where they need to maybe they're kind of the hangover, I guess you could say from doing so well. But I think they did a lot of pieces that just the chemistry isn't necessarily working out. Maybe how you thought it would. So, 
Yeah, I, I'm looking at what I'm looking at from this this division's perspective is they have something that is unique to their division that no other division has, and that is the majority of teams in that division are in the negative and goal differential, which is completely like bizarre. You have two teams out of eight that are in the positive, and that the one is San Jose, they're at plus five, and the other one is Arizona, who's in sixth place with a plus six. The rest of them, all six of these teams are in the minus. So it, I guess it reads to me like this is a division full of teams that are taking the brunt of a lot of other teams' early season wins. And, you know, because it's early season, nobody knows how to play defense right now. You're seeing games like 8-3, to 7-2, you know, ridiculous scores. So it's like this This division's taking the abuse right now. And if I was a betting man, I would say that's going to lead to success later. Like that, that to me, and, and, and again, I want your, your opinion on this because I want your perspective, but that to me always reads like this is the kind of like – Take your knocks now because later on you'll be able to surge back when everybody's like use their energy on you early on. I I don't know. That sentiment can be hit or miss because I feel like the the adage of if you're not a playoff team by November, like American Thanksgiving, you're generally not going to make the playoffs because of how tight the races start to get after that point. Because a lot of the bulk of the beginning of the year, you're you're not playing as many divisional games. The last like three four months of the year, it's 70% divisional opponents and you have to play well to make the playoffs in those regards. So I think for teams like Arizona, Dallas, especially, I mean, I think especially for Dallas, they need to start putting some wins together in a good fashion or else they're not going to be able to climb out of that cellar, especially, you know, the central division is probably the most competitive division in the NHL. Like every team there, even, even right now, a lot of these teams are not embarrassingly bad. No. Like the only teams that are kind of embarrassingly bad are LA. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else is pretty much next to each other. I mean, even the game last night where San Jose clobbered Chicago seven to three, it it wasn't that big of a it didn't look like a seven to three game. So I mean a lot of these teams, it's the beginning of the day, they're fairly close. You know, especially when you start getting into the muck of things when injuries start to take their toll is when you you know, in like two months when we come back and really look at the standings, if they're the same I'll be slightly surprised, but I won't be like, oh, like, oh man, this is crazy. I'd be surprised if Arizona still has a positive goal differential in two months. I don't. I I think some of the moves that they've made, I think they're starting to finally pay off. Their their nucleus is starting to be able to gel and have some chemistry, and their goaltending has been a little bit better now. Hmm. So okay, well, Dallas get Dallas gets their bingo free space today, so they they at least got one for pos- probable free win. They're playing Detroit literally as we speak, as we record this episode. Uh, <laughs> I'm calling that the bingo free space, by the way, for every team that plays them. We're 10 games in and they have one fucking win. Like, that's the bingo free space 100% all season. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, any comment on that before I jump to the next topic? Uh, I, I mean, I've watched a few of the Detroit games because obviously we're here. It's on. The, it's on. I've, I've seen them, especially when I've seen them play Toronto. And the thing is, is like, they don't look that far off, which is kind of scary considering the stance of like a lot of these games are kind of close and then they just give up a goal late or they give up a goal really early and they just don't recover. I don't think they're necessarily a terrible hockey team. I just think right now with the lineup, they're really young and inexperienced and they're playing a lot of teams that have a lot of depth. And I mean, you know, that's just kind of how it runs in the beginning of the year. And they're probably going to be 10 or 15 points out of a playoff spot by American Thanksgiving. And we could start talking about the number one overall draft pick at that point. So, <laughs> well, uh, other our sister show's co-host already has his Twitter handle changed to lose for you. So, uh, okay, so let's jump into this article, uh, TSN article uh, done by Frank Saravalli. Uh, it, it's fun for me from the perspective of I, I I like revisiting things like worst contracts because this is something I've ragged on on this show. I've ragged on on on, on spinning the wheels where it's like if you are not managing your cap properly, if you are you know, if you know, the question we always ask is like, who's signing these guys? You know, who's backing up the Brinks truck for a guy who's in his 30s and had one good year? And it's like, I like seeing that, like, you know, just put out there, like, the here's here's all your failures, league. You know, deal with this. Stop doing this shit. And some of these names, you know, are guys who were super prolific. I'm just gonna hit. On, I'm gonna go down the list really quick, and then we'll just revisit them as we find opinions on them. Uh, for number one on the list with the bullet is Carl Alsner, although these are, I believe, alphabetic. Uh, so first one is Carl Alsner. Five years, $23.125 million, uh, $4.625 million cap hit expires in 2022. David Backus uh, for Boston, five years, $30 million, cap hit $6 million, expires in 2021. 
Uh, Matt Pulaski for the New York Rangers, five years, $19 million. Cap hit $3.8 million, expires in 2020. Louis Erickson for Vancouver, six years at $36 million, $6 million cap hit, expires in 2022. Dmitry Kulikov, three years, $13 million, a little smaller one, $4.3 million cap hit for Winnipeg until 2020. Andrew Ladd for the Islanders, seven years, $38.5 million, $5.5 million cap hit until 2023. Milan Lucic, how many more of these? I don't want to keep, okay, cool, not to me. Milan Lucic for Edmonton, seven years, $42 million, $6 million cap hit until 2023. Uh... Matt Molson for Buffalo, five years, $25 million cap hit, $5 million till, until next year. Uh, Zach Parise for Minnesota, 13 years, $98 million, $7.5 million cap hit, with, expires in 2025. And Kevin Shattenkirk for the New York Rangers, four years, $26.6 million, $6.65 million cap hit, expires in 2021. Dishonorable mentions are Jason Demers, formerly of Florida, now with Arizona, and Dale Weiss of Philadelphia. Uh, I want to start by talking about Zach Parise. This is a contract you and I talked about. Obviously, it wasn't, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times in different contexts. Uh, I mean, the chickens are coming home to roost on this one, right? I mean, when they signed it, I wasn't like, oh my God, that's a terrible deal. Because at the time, he just came off of literally going to the Stanley Cup Finals. <laughs> he was the point producer of the New Jersey Devils. Mm-hmm. He was the guy of that franchise. And he was a prominent force in the league at the time, too. So he was top 10 in points. So, I mean, that kind of a deal at the time, you're thinking, that's a career deal. He's never going to play anywhere else. He went home. Good for him. But now when you're looking at it, today's NHL and the productivity of things, injuries that he's had the last few years, it starts to look like a really bad deal. And the one thing I'm looking at every single one of these teams, except for like one or two, are non-playoff teams signing these incredibly bad deals. And that should just, that's kind of the red flag for me. Especially teams like New York that are rebuilding, signing, you know, they think Shattenkirk is going to be the piece to help build them, which at the time, when you're making these deals, you can't see the future and you can't see what's going to happen. And that's just part of the risk you take. But did I think Shattenkirk was just going to literally fall flat into what he's fallen? Not necessarily, but play- I knew that New York was on the turn for the, the downturn. So signing a guy like that, I think, was going to negatively impact him anyway. Yeah, that that was actually the reason I brought this article up is because that you you like you nailed up and smiling the whole time you've been talking because the commonality in most of these teams, with the exception of Boston and Winnipeg, is that they are either completely out of the playoffs or complete garbage in the case of Vancouver. And you know, one of the players, Louis Erickson, is the one that to me sticks out. Like that was my biggest like go into a room and scream why for a while. Like it never made sense to me to back up the Brinks for Louis Erickson. I I, I mean he had a couple of good years, but. He was 31 when he signed that contract. They were 100% already on the downturn. You know, what, you know, just a, you know, a point of fact pointed out in the article. He has not broken 24 points in either of the first two se- seasons in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, yet. Yeah, and he was playing primarily with the Sedins. Yeah, so. like you're playing with the guys who are going to literally hand you points. They turned, they turned everybody into a point producer and they just hand out contracts, you know, that later pan, don't pan out for other teams also. But like, I just I never understood the Erickson signing. The other one that I that was a big stick out for me was uh, Matt Bolesky because I I think I I think I made the com the the comparison then and I don't know I don't remember if I did but that's that's just an Ablocator like that's a hundred percent that's the Justin Ablocator contract like that's I'm surprised the Ablocator wasn't on this list. Yeah, I, <laughs> like the Bolesky one is just one of those things. It's like. I don't know. It's like a byproduct of this this sport and how they it's like it's like what the kids on Twitter call it, clout. Clout gets you deals like, oh, you're a good boy and he does everything the coach wants. Seven million dollars. It is like like that's the one thing. And we had to there's a fine line there with like, for instance, like a guy like Bacchus who's on this list. Did I think that deal was bad? No, because I think he is a guy that could bring a lot of different tools to your team. Right. He's a multifaceted player. He's not at, at the time when he played on St. Louis, he was top three in points. So like he's 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 one of those guys that he's good. But then the the age in which you're signing that deal on a team like Boston, who is in that transition of turning into a really good, young, youthful rising team with, you know, the likes of all the guys that they've had, Pasternak, all of that, etc. And then you just. You isolate yourself as a team having to give a guy $7 million who literally played 47 games the first year of his deal. Like, as a GM, that's got to kill you because you're just like, 
I'm giving these guys money and nothing is happening in return and it's handcuffing my team because of the salary cap. <laughs> that's the part that confuses me is like none of these like that's why I picked all with the exception of Parise. None of these are in you know they're not like the data contracts like the the DiPietro were like you can't fault them because they were like they were just learning the salary cap. They were learning how to like skirt around it and like you know test all the rules and make new ones and stuff like that i give a pass like when people bring up dpho as a bad contract i'm like look they didn't know what a salary cap was when they started it like and those managers were just reacting and, and at the time richie dpho was top five in the league in goaltending stats yeah, he wasn't like, a terrible goalie. he was no he was he's he literally was on on the turn for probably making a career out of it and yeah he just got punched in the face and that was yeah, it but like when I look, when I think about that in comparison to us, you know, like signing like a guy like Carl Alsner, like Carl Alsner is 100% the product of the system. Like Washington just turns out these big, good defensemen. Like that's what they do. They're never going to be Norris Trophy winners. You know, John Carlson's not a Norris Trophy candidate even, but they're all like, they're all like top 15, top 10 guys. And But they shouldn't, if you're going to sign him, you have to make that move on that first year, like that first year that they're UFAs. And Carl Alsner did not just become a UFA at 30 years old. Like he became a UFA in his mid twenties. And it, as soon as he becomes a UFA, at, as soon as you're trying to back up a brings form at 30 years old, like, I don't know. The problem I have with these deals is that they're all signed with experience. Like this league is we're 10, 11, 12, 13 years into a salary gap. We should know how it functions, and yet these are still happening, and that boggles my mind. It's still happening, and then they happen to the point where there's another lockout to fix, again, the issues that we've had. And and that's what I feel like this is turning into when you start hearing the deals of the last two free agency seasons. They stack money in certain years because uh, we might have to have a lockout, so I need to make sure my money's okay. It's just like, like instead of fixing the problem by having a smarter idea of what you're signing yes do i think nhl players deserve more money a thousand percent because they are the lowest of the major sports paid i get it there's no guaranteed money it's not like i understand but at the same point that means your sport needs one to have a higher salary cap two it needs to just fundamentally prepare itself better for these kind of situations you can't have a looming lockout every seven to eight years because you guys signed a deal just to get hockey to come back so you can get your money to ultimately have to redo it in seven more years like to me it's just mentally like that's that's part of the problem and part of the problem is the system and i understand that i don't blame the players in these situations because if somebody's like hey you want to come play some hockey in arizona for 11 million dollars i'm like where do i sign like I, I at that point, unless you know, especially for guys that have already won things, it's just like, where, where do, it doesn't matter where I play. I already have the trophy. Like I'll go wherever I want. I'll go play golf on a Thursday because it's eighty five. Like, I don't, I don't care. Yeah, Andrew Ladd doesn't give a fuck where he plays. Like he's already got a cup or two. I'm pretty sure. So he, yeah, sure, give me five and a half million dollars to be quote unquote the guy on New York. Yeah, why not? Okay, cool. And like even then, like it's not a terrible situation because they're about to get a new rank. Like, actively, like, they're the better New York team, technically. <laughs> so, not by much, but they are. Yeah. That still counts for something, you know? And just, like, the whole thing with these deals is just, like, and then and then these teams complain if somebody gets injured. Well, what am I supposed to do with the cap? Well, if you didn't sign them to these atrocious deals, you wouldn't have to worry about it, now would you? If Like, that's the one thing with this whole thing in Toronto about, you know, all these signing, all these different players, and then you know we signed John Devars for all the money, but they're like, well, that's gonna you know screw anything else. It's just like I don't think they would have signed him if they knew what they were getting into. Like they they ha they have a plan, and I think there's a few teams in the league that honestly understand the cap, and you can see by the deals that they sign, they're not on this list. Yeah, you know, like some of these teams, like in Pittsburgh, you, you know, a lot of the higher Chicago is a really good example, and I I hate using that, but that. Stan Bowman has a fucking idea. He knows wh exactly what he's doing. He knows how to circumvent the cap in the correct manner to help his team. And like, yeah, they might not be doing amazing, but you know, he signed four guys for like $10 million. You got to do what you, that's like, that's 60% of your cap almost. Like you just got to do what you got to do in between. And that means ultimately you have to draft better. So 
I mean, until they get this all figured out, we're going to be talking about this every summer when some guy comes off of having a 45-point year and wins the Stanley Cup, and he's a second fiddle to a Norse trophy finalist, and he's going to get $9 million because. I'd like to take this moment to take a break to just say that for that entire discussion, all I heard in my head was, you're doing it, Steve. You're becoming a good podcast. Like That was like the best rant you've had that I've witnessed. Like I literally, I, I pull out of my body and I watched that. Like I was watching a broadcast. Like I don't, I don't even have a response. Cause it was just like, yeah, that's, that's it. He said the thing. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of a segue to get over to ratings. Like I, I got nothing to add to that because you a hundred percent nailed well, it. Well, I, I mean, it ties into the whole, like the, the, the cat being more like if the ratings were better, we'd be able to increase revenue, which increases the salary cap. There's the segue. Let's talk about ratings. Uh, he pointed out to me uh, Friday when we were going over our outline uh, that he had seen a tweet, you know, regarding the ratings of NHL and NBCSN uh, this year over last year about how they were down. <laughs> so I went on a hunt, uh, and after alarmingly like an hour it took to search to find this, uh, I was able to find a week for week, re- week over ugh, week over week rating reviews versus the previous year. Uh, we don't have a composite of like 10 years or anything like that to compare to. I just have little bits of information. So I want to start by talking about the week of uh, October 18th, which would be last Wednesday. Uh, down week for NHL and NBCSN, Rangers Capitals scored a .2 rating and 329,000 viewers on NBCSN's Wednesday Night Hockey, down 23% in ratings and 21% in viewership from last year, which was Blackhawks Blues, which had a .26 and 419,000, and down 13 and 14% respectively from 2016, which was Red Wings and Rangers, .23, 383,000. The Bruins Flames nightcap had 162,000, which is down 5%. And on Tuesday, uh, the Coyotes Wild scored 197,000, down another 2%. Uh, and then the the crushing blow on the seven of the first nine NHL windows on NBCSN this this, this season have declined. Uh, I can touch on the 25th, too, just for conversation's sake, but that's going to slowly load. And oh, I lied. It's going to load really quickly. Good job, computer. Uh, All-Canadian matchup. This is the one that you wanted to highlight because specifically All-Canadian matchup. NBCSN on October 25th earned 167,000 viewers for Maple Leafs Jets on Wednesday Night Hockey, down 10% from last year, which was Sabres Blue Jackets, which had 186,000, and down 59% from 2016's Bruins Rangers game, which had 407,000. It was the first all-Canadian regular season game on NBCSN since last year's Canadian Senators outdoor game, which had 140,000 viewers on a Saturday night. The Lightning Avalanche nightcap had 177,000, and figures for Tuesday's Sharks-Predators games were not available. This is concerning. Now, is it concerning me personally because, oh, the NHL is you know faltering? No, I, I'm a believer that... Uh, streaming fucks these numbers up big time on every sport. Like you, 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 you just literally type in ratings down sports in Google and be like, oh my god, is the NFL failing? No, people are on Sling, people are on you know Fire TV, people are on Amazon watching the Thursday night game for free. You know, Twitch, Twitch, exactly. People are streaming it onto Twitch. There's always a hack YouTube stream somewhere where some guy just plugged his TV into his computer, like. There, people are finding alternative ways to watch these games, but the reason I I'm not, I say I'm not concerned for viewership of the sport, I am concerned for the fiscal prosperity of the sport because viewership means money, and when they say the NFL is down, that means instead of 27.4 million, it's 27.3 million people watching it. In the NHL, it's 167,000 people on prime time Wednesday night hockey with two of the best teams in the league, who you know. The, the traditionalist fans and you know we talk about this all the time in overwatch the community the, oh, the what they wanted would be a great primetime matchup between two of the best teams in the league and what you get is 167,000 viewers which goes to my theory and I know I'm going a little long I'm going to give you a second to talk about it but it goes to my personal theory that when you cater to the community all you get is the community and then you find out that the community of anything and I'm putting community in air quotes heavily is like four percent of the population there's a reason that dumb shit is liked by everybody. It's because it's dumb, and people like dumb shit. When you put the best artisan, refined, perfect thing out there, yes, guys like you and me will be happy, and I'm sure that game was fucking great, but guys like you and me are few and far between. And not not to say we're elite. We yeah, not to say we're a leader better than anybody, but we're the minority. We're like 100%. Everything has a fan club. We're it. 
and that's not a lot of people. Yeah, it's the same people who have NFL Sunday Ticket. Sunday Ticket doesn't have 200 million subscribers. It has probably a million or two versus their ratings, which are like 27 million, like I said. So it's fractions of the community or fractions of the viewership. There's two. Those are two so different things that I cannot stress enough, I think, can lead to the downfall of a thing. And I'm sorry I went long along on this. I want your response to the year-over-year failure. You pointed out the World Series is a thing, but this is comparing to last year during the World Series too, so... Yeah, I, I think, well, the one thing, too, is last year's World Series, I don't think was as prominent as this year's World Series with Boston being a factor. That's that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, the Sox. The Sox. Yeah, but I, I think for me personally, as much as I enjoy a lot of these matchups, I understand when it's not a matchup like this and the ratings are down because who honestly gives a fuck about last year's Sabres Blue Jackets game? If I'm loading on Wednesday Night Hockey and I see that, I'm probably like, I'm probably going to see what else is on the network tonight. Like, that's just being honest because, like, I personally don't care about those teams. I'm not invested in that. Am I heavily invested in Toronto? Yes. When they have a national TV game, which generally every Toronto game is a national televised game. Just saying. We'll revisit that later. That's just because of how it is. But I mean, I was actually pretty excited to watch that game. And then I find the ratings and they were talking about it on Twitter. I was just like, that's really interesting. But I think a lot of it has to pay in the fact that NBCSN is an American sports network. And on a Wednesday night, Americans aren't watching hockey unless they're maybe nothing else going on. It's <laughs> just kind of being honest. It's kind of what you're talking about. Unless you're in the club, you're not really, you don't really care. And I think that's the one thing that's going to hurt the NHL in the next 10 years. The NHL needs to find some way to get back on these regular networks. And then not the Sunday special occasion in April when no shit, there's nothing else on. Like, of course they're going to watch hockey because that's what's on. But it's like, you know, when these golf events come on TV, of course people are going to watch it. That's just what's on, right? But, like, right now for you to watch hockey, you have to have MSNBC. Or, or I mean, NBCSN. I'm sorry, all these acronyms. But like, How dare you? Or, or you? or you pay to have the TV deal network, which honestly is terrible now because half the time it's blacked out. So either way, you're not being able to watch. The only new one that I've really actually been reading about is ESPN Plus is having their NHL games covered. Yeah. And you can watch them. And it's $5 a month. Yes. That's incredible. That's a lot more reasonable. That's something I'm heavily going to look into. But I think in terms of just pure numbers, it's alarming. Especially when you see that 60% down number from two years ago. That's very alarming to me. That's a very big chunk. I down. will point out, though, that that 60% down is two American teams in two prolific cities versus two Canadian teams, one of which is in a city that... While it is called a big city, is not a big city by any metric normally. But those are honestly the two biggest, like, top two. Okay. That's the biggest hockey market in North America with, like, the third biggest hockey market in Canada. I get that. But I think that <laughs> Boston and New York skew everything. Like, Boston, New York, and L.A., they fuck every, all the numbers up. Like, that's the thing because they just watch cable. Like, that's the thing. But... I wanted to touch on a little part of that that you, you, you hit on where it's like, you know, we're talking about ways that they can get into this because as a devout, as a guy who likes the, who likes this league so much and likes the sport so much, who likes the, yeah, hockey. I almost said the hockey, <laughs> <laughs> who likes this sport, who likes the hockey so much that I spent hundreds and thousands of hours and dollars producing a podcast to talk about it. I didn't subscribe to NHL TV this year because it's that shitty. Like it's Same. it's super unreliable. It's super blacked out all the time. You know, the one reason we did have it was so that you know we had like a pool going, and then Justin was in on it, so he could watch Red Wings games. You know, being outside of the state, and even he couldn't watch most of the games because they were for whatever reason miraculously blacked out, and it, it wasn't a good value. You know, the, it, it, what was amazing is that it's not a good value while being built on the network that is the best value, which is MLB TV. MLB TV is the best bang for your buck single subscriber network there is. And when you build on the same network, you would think that you would have, you know, an inkling of how to do it. But for some reason, they just don't. And I don't know why that doesn't work out. But yeah, I mean, am I concerned about the NBCSN numbers? Maybe. Uh, but I'm more concerned about their reaction to this, which is... It seems that they're intent on expansion, and that's what I don't get is like everything is telling you to slow down. Everything in the world is saying, please stop trying to make this bigger than it is, and they just and, – and 
to, 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 stress, to push my point home further, they keep trying to schedule things when people are quote unquote watching sports. Like, let's put an outdoor game on January 1st when all, everybody's watching college football. They're watching college football. They're not going to fucking watch hockey. That's why your numbers are garbage every year. Like, every year that game is garbage numbers-wise. And they're like, I don't know why. It's crazy. But it's because you're scheduling a sport that is niche on days that major sports are being played. Like, and even on nights like Wednesday night when there was no World Series game and no NFL to compete with. And, yeah, I guess the NBA was going on. But, like, you still put up garbage numbers. So it's like you have to accept your your role. You know, to quote a famous wrestler, know your role and shut your mouth. Pick your fucking spots. Like, why are you trying to go head-to-head with the NFL or the NCAA or NBA or MLB? Like, they're just better than you and more people like them. The problem is, though, when you are your sport, you can't think like a loser. You can't think, well, nobody's going to watch us. Yeah, you have to be more proactive, but you can't be like, well, we're just not going to do that because our fans aren't going to show up. It's just like, if you're a fan of something, you're going to watch. Would I watch an outdoor game over a, a, a bowl game? Yeah, because that bowl game on January 1st means nothing to the NCAA championship generally. Agreed. No, I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that the community won't watch, but move it to January third. Like, move it to a day that isn't the day of all the college bowl games. I don't know why it has to be a New Year's thing either, but like, it just what it is. The other thing too is the expansion. Is expanding to Seattle is a good idea because there's a fan base there that wants hockey and will produce. Like, look what happened in Vegas. Everybody's like, Vegas is not going to do anything because it's not a hockey area. <laughs> Excuse me. Look at the last year. What just happened? What needs to happen, expansion is not bad if you, it's, they need to take teams out of locations that aren't working. They need to relocate within five years of an expansion not working. I know that will lose them money because they have to, you know, all this money that they invest into things. But would you rather relocate after five years and potentially make money because you take your team to an area that wants a hockey team and would be ecstatic about it? Or you keep butting your head in a place like Ottawa where nobody gives a shit about your hockey team? Yeah, I don't. I don't understand it. Like when Ottawa, Arizona plays, legitimately, who watches? Like honest question. Like, why are those two teams? Why are the? Why are they teams? Like that's what I don't. That's what I. When I say expansion is bad, I don't mean by moving to cities that are wanting for sports. I mean you have three to five teams that no one gives a fuck about, and you're just pumping millions of dollars into them and wondering why you're losing money. It's like because no one in Arizona cares, and if they do care, I'm sorry, move to Seattle. Like, you need to just accept the loss on this one. Like, it's not going to work. Even if you do put a good team on the ice, no one fucking goes. And no one watches it even when they do. When they were in the playoffs, their numbers were always garbage. Like, that's just a fact of the matter. Arizona doesn't care about sports unless it's college football. That's just a thing. Like, when their team went to the, you know, uh, NLCS, they didn't care. You know, Los Angeles cared because Los Angeles seems to care about everything. But Arizona doesn't give a fuck. That's just a thing. Stop trying to make Arizona happen. It's like trying to make Fetch happen in Mean Girls. Like, it's not going to work. Like... Just accept that Seattle is literally begging you. Quebec has been crying for like three decades. Bring a team back. You could literally move two teams and make this a way more profitable league instantly. <laughs> you could put a team in Hartford. Seriously. <laughs> like legit, the fan base yeah. is there. It's like, still there. Start evaluating. Like that's the thing that frustrates me is like. Take Florida. Yeah, do it. Back. Like. You, it worked already. Like that's, that's what frustrates me. Like this is the same conversation about contracts. Like. You've done this. You've seen that Winnipeg and Winnipeg failed due to mismanagement, not due to lack of interest. So move a team back there. What happens? Sell out instantly. Minnesota failed because of mismanagement, not due to watching. You put a team back there, instant sellouts. They're sold out for like three decades. Like they haven't missed a sellout since they've been in. Exactly. And, and yet here we are discussing the same thing. Like why is Arizona a team? This has been the question of this show since we formed it in 2015. 16 whenever we did it like I just I don't understand the stubbornness and the bureaucracy of like well you know we got an arena there and we got to deal with the state move the fuck out you're a business be a business overlord move to a city that makes you money like this is the only league if we want to talk about it in terms of it being a product it's the only time when they just force a product that no one wants like if I put out a new razor that had seven blades and nobody bought it, I wouldn't keep fucking making it. Like it's there's no point. Like uh, that's what I that's the part where I'm trying to like see if you have an idea as to why that happens. Like that's what I don't get. I think it's that stubborn pride that the NHL has. It just because it's like we're our own thing. It's like yes, but overall your own thing doesn't appeal to a mass amount of people. It's a very niche thing. 
and I as a fan know that. But at the same sense, just because it's a niche doesn't mean you can't make it better. I feel like there's always a plateau with the NHL of ideas and, and, and new things. They're always the, lit, the last to adopt a lot of things, and it's just like, they got to find a way to be the first at something and be first and the best what? at it. And then you'll start to see And that's growth. what's amazing is that they're first on a lot of things, but they're so desperate to like get the next big idea that they'll just skip over ideas that worked. Like I said, relocation or like the rule changes. Like we this replay thing, it's annoying, but it's great. Like we know it works and they were like one of the first ones to really do it the right way and not calling the NFL, which again, the NFL is in a different echelon. That's, that's the big boys. The barrier to entry to that is way lower, but like study your demographics, your sport for the average kid to join the league or to join a league at a kid level is what? 800 to a thousand. It's like a mortgage, give or take. So why would you put it in places where people don't have mortgage money to fund their kids? Like that's what... That's what you need to understand. That's why places like Seattle and Quebec and Minnesota are great because the average income is way higher there. That's why Arizona sucks. That's why Florida sucks because nobody makes any money so their kids aren't going to play hockey so they're not going to want to watch hockey. Like That's why basketball and soccer are the greatest sports because it takes a ball. And, like, and that's what I don't, see, I don't think they seem to understand is like if you play to your core values – not to the community. Again, I, I stressed my point from earlier. Not to the community, but if you play to your core values, which is we know that it takes a barrier of entry, those people in that market will make it an exciting sport like Vegas did. Like, that's exactly – like, you nailed – it's perfect. Like, that's I, – I, I can't understand why I, somebody who has no college degree, no education, and no history of sports management can see this, why you can see this, and why people who get paid millions of dollars to do this cannot see this. Like that, I I don't get it. Maybe they do see it. They just don't want to acknowledge. Yeah, maybe they're just being stubborn, honestly. Because they're in the spot where it doesn't matter because they're making the decision. (laughs) I honestly, I think it's just I think it's a matter of self confidence. I think they they want to feel like they made the right decision and they want to stick to it regardless of what happens. Let's just hit on this last topic real quick and then we'll wrap things up. Uh, It's the superstar interview, which I think these are always fun because. What happens when 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 players are interviewed is, you know, if you know anything about the sport, you know this to be true. 80% of the time you're getting a hockey answer. You know, oh, you know, guys play tough, guys do hard, good stuff. We're, you know, a tough team. I play real hard out there. It's just a generic fill the fill the lines answer that no one cares about. It's what I call the Jonathan I call it Jonathan tasing it. Like Taze Taze has never said anything of consequence, really. So, but every now and again to one of these questions, you get an answer that is like so perfect and so funny that I, I can't help but enjoy it. And I'll, the first one to point out, this again is an ESPN article. Uh, it's written by Emily Kaplan. Uh, the question on the table was, with time to reflect, how real was the Vegas flu? Now, here's I'm going to read the Jonathan Tay's answer because it is basically the same as all of them, which is, if I'm being serious, I think Vegas just played well. Every game they had a chip on their shoulder. It was a tough building to play in, and they fed off that energy. Regardless if other teams were having too much fun in Vegas or not, they were really a good team that was tough to play against. He said nothing there. There's no content to that quote. That is just a quote just like, yeah, hockey and stuff, whatever. Now, the thing I love is after seven or ten of these, uh, two of them stick out to me. Number one, Marc-Andre Fleury, who plays in Vegas, was asked about the Vegas flu. He says, for visiting teams, yeah, it was real. They were they were probably looking for some of the reasons why they lost. I fucking love that. Like, that, I, I love that all day. But... The one that made me like literally when I was doing, I was reading this article and like what made this a show topic is Jamie Ben. I this was just a ha moment. Jamie Ben, is the Vegas flu real? Yeah, it was real. Four words, four words. Just yeah, it's real. That's it. And that that I love that. Like, what what's your reaction? What was your reaction when you read this? I, I think it just. You know, a lot of these bits, when you see them on YouTube, they, they have the interview and they're doing the questions and there's a few of them. You're just like, wow, he said that. OK. And that's the one where are just like, yep, confirm, check. And it's like, not going to say why or anything else, but you got your answer. Here you go. <laughs> I, I thought it was really funny just because he's right. It, it was real. Like, clearly, these are kids in their 20s that are millionaires. They're going to gamble and do stupid shit. They do. Uh I mean, look what Ovechkin did after he won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, everything. He ran He ran to the strip. <laughs> like, literally. I'm pretty sure he didn't even fly. He just ran all the way. 
Yeah, he took the cup from the arena next door. <laughs> I think he had his shirt off by 9 p.m. Central. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was done. It's time for shirt off summer. Uh, okay, next question. What's one piece of financial advice you wish you knew as a rookie? Any purchase you regret? Um, I'm going to read the second one first because the first one is the one that was the reason, again, the reason I brought it to the article. Chris Kreider, New York Rangers winger. Be smart. Don't buy two houses at the same time. I found that out the hard way. I love that. Simple, concise, I fucked up. Don't do what I did. Uh, but the TJ Oshie one is the one that is, he gets a little morbid here. Like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, like every now and again, some, like one of my friends left to put me in line because I, I, I'll do something like this and not realize that like it's wildly inappropriate to say, especially in a public setting. And he just goes, probably not pick up as many tabs as you did. Okay, that's fine. Maybe save some money in the bank. Good job, TJ. That's a good answer. I was pretty generous. I had a lot of friends. To me, I didn't grow up with a lot of money, so if I spent it on my buddies, I was fine with it. Okay, so this is all still a good answer. This is all normal, fine. I'm okay with you, TJ. I guess I still am fine with it, but once you get a wife and you have kids, you realize you want to be able to leave them something, maybe a little more than you wanted to pick up your buddies' burgers and beers. Okay, you're getting a little weird, but you know you can send it home with another safe line. I wish I would have saved a little more, but I still have a little room to... I still have a little room to get something going for the kids for when I'm gone. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> Why are you talking about death? Like, this is such a simple question. Like, I, I don't get, like, uh, what? <laughs> like, what What are we doing? I, I think he's just being realistic, be honest with you. Because when you come into these positions, like, you can't take it all with you. So knowing what to do if something happens... Like, I, I guess that's just kind of part of the position those people think. Like, uh, us regular people down here don't think about things like that because we're just like, dude, if I had any kind of money, like, it'd be gone because I got to spend it. But, like, these guys have abscesses amounts of money, so I guess that's part of the thinking process. <laughs> like, that's, I guess that's what I got, man, because to be honest with you, I'm not, like, off-put by it, but it's kind of like, yeah, it's a little fucked up, but it's kind of like, I guess he's just being real. <laughs> Whatever, yeah, you know? he's a 31 year old man. I don't, I don't know if he has a lot to worry about death wise. 31 going on. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and then I'm going to use this. There's a lot more, but I'm going to use one of them to segue into our last topic to wrap things up. Austin Matthews, the Toronto Maple Leaf Center. I think I've made pretty decent financial decisions so far. Is there one purchase I regret? I got bored this year and I started hoarding random things for my apartment. Just random stuff, just for show. Like it's there, but why do you have that? What's the need for a sign that you can put letters on and words in and light it up with a saying in there? Just because I was bored scrolling through online shopping. When I asked what he put on the sign, Matthew said, oh, for sure, with a beer glass. Just super Canadian. I love when guys say, oh, for sure. That's great. Yeah, that's 100% great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, I really like that. I saw that and I was like, yeah, that's a good segue into the Toronto thing because I want to get into what's probably going to become a, cl a recurring closing segment uh, for this show because I think it's a, it's a fun part of fandom we don't often touch on, which is, you know, to actually, like, dive into it while it's like while all of the hard work of being a fan during the tough times is starting to pay off so steve i want to ask you like what's the last two weeks been like what is what is it like being a toronto fan right now give me a check-in on the toronto maple leafs i i think right now you're especially for me i'm fighting that like overboard button like being like oh we got this in the bag but it's october but we just beat winnipeg twice in the same week right we're like eight three and one or something like that i believe and it's it's like fighting the urge to be like <laughs> the next few months are going to be amazing but then you know awesome matthews left in the second period last night with so we don't know anything about that yet i'm hoping he's probably fine we still don't have nylander like my my rational fan is still being like pump the brakes dude like let's let's we got six more months of this like let's let's chill because it's like we haven't really played anybody that good yet <laughs> aside from winnipeg I mean, and I think we played Washington once. Mm. I think we beat. I think we beat. I can't remember. It feels like twenty games has happened already. But I think for me personally, it's waking up, looking at the phone, being like, "Wow, we won." Okay, like I'm still kind of like, "We won." All right, even. But it's like you know, it's like the same thing that happened with John Tavares signed. I woke up that day. I saw it. I put the phone down and went back to sleep. I brought back my phone when I woke up again. I was like. Okay, yeah, we really did sign John Tavares. And that's still kind of happening when you see wins and your team playing well and your team being in the top of the standings. You're just kind of like... I, I just pinched myself. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's really happening. <laughs> and it's just like, 
after being perpetually bad for so long, it's a release because you're just you're happy to check your phone. You're not like, oh, the Leafs, the Leafs play today, guys. You don't want to look. It's like the, the Leafs play today. You feel happy. And then it's like, I wore my jersey the other day. I got so many compliments. A bunch of people are like, oh, yeah, the Leafs are doing great. That's awesome. I love it when the Leafs are doing great. It makes everything around here just better. It's just like, you know, like everybody just reacts differently to it now. And it's kind of like you see Red Wings fans being like, yeah, they're kind of like my team to watch now since the Red Wings aren't doing well. It's like a transition. It's a shift. You know, I used to walk through the mall and have Toronto gear on and people would look at me and laugh. And now they're like, that's awesome. It's like a, it's, it's a nice feeling. It's a comfort feeling. I do have a, especially being, I do have a question before I wrap it up though. Has it become full on appointment viewing for you? Um, Saturdays generally always is because it's Saturday night hockey. That's just kind of a traditionary thing from being where I'm from. But midday of the week, if they're playing against a pretty good team, I try to go out of way to make sure I see that. Okay. So it hasn't fully happened yet though. No, because it's kind of hard because out of market for me, it's it's kind of hard to catch okay. those games live because a lot of them are blacked okay. out. So generally, I try to keep tabs on it mm-hmm. with Twitter. Twitter has the moments thing where sometimes they'll have the game feed going and I'll just kind of casually be watching it on my phone. Or if I find an audio feed, I'll be trying to listen. To okay, it. so so it's as close as you can get to appointment viewing. Pretty much, yeah. It just it's hard with it being out of market, and especially because it's Toronto, it's always a national broadcast. So. Unless you're in Toronto, being able to watch it on Sports Network. Gotcha. Anything else you want to add to the show before I wrap it up? No, I think cool. it's a good show. We you in. had your moment, man. You're gonna go. I'm telling you, you're gonna re-listen to it. You're gonna find that spot in the middle. And you're gonna be like, "What the fuck did I do? <laughs> what the fuck was that?" <laughs> I went super saiyan. <laughs> All right. If you guys like the product, I ask as I do every week on every show I do to subscribe to us on iTunes. We are under the banner SRD Hockey. Spread that to your friends. Spread that to your family. Get us subscribers. We love you for it. If you're not into iTunes, you can check us out on TuneIn Radio, Podbean, Stitcher, Facebook. And now officially, I can say we are on Spotify under the SRD Hockey banner. Uh, you can check you can check out the brand on Twitter at Sports Radio DET. Uh, our sister show, which is at STW underscore SRD. Steve has a Twitter. It is Franchise GFX. And I have a Twitter at JM Pinkham. Check out our website at SportsRadioDetroit.com. Thank you, and we'll see you guys in two weeks. This has been an SRD production.